The words of the women who had been to the tomb seemed like nonsense, something that doesn't coordinate with anything in the experience of the disciples up to this point. We hear in the second reading today, it's one of my favorite readings. I was interviewed by the Catholic New World some years ago, and uh, they asked what my favorite reading was. And it's this one from Colossians. Set your minds on things above, not things of earth. This is a theme that's dear to St. Paul, and it appears in different ways in his letters. For example, in the eighth chapter of the letter to the Romans, he writes this. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. Again, we can see the the apostles today uh, don't have their minds yet set on the Spirit, so the words of the women seem like nonsense. It doesn't make sense. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, this is the same Spirit whose love is poured into our hearts at baptism. And it's important to understand as we prepare to renew our baptismal vows in just a moment to remind ourselves that the promise that God makes in baptism, the offer that he makes us, is not to give us a better sort of life as measured by the metrics of the flesh or by our old experience or how the world would categorize success or flourishing or however we want to say it. But baptism is meant to alter our perception entirely so that we think differently. Uh, There's a certain sense in which uh, our theology should seem like nonsense to the world. Uh, It'll make sense to us the more we live it, the more we allow Christ to reveal himself to us. And I take this as one of the meanings of the empty tomb. The women were expecting to find a body in there. The stone was rolled away. They weren't expecting that either. The stone is a symbol um, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Dante. It's a symbol of everything that's dead and entombed in our hearts. So however we wish to think about it, if it's a cynical disavowal of my former aspirations, dismissals of others who disrespect me, or disappoint me, or scandalize me. A faith that has gone cold, maybe a fear that's born of uh, some injury that we've suffered, some terrible thing that's happened to us, and uh, this trauma has made us unable to respond with kind of life. There's a certain death that's taken hold of our hearts. There's a stone put over it. It's easy enough for us even to entomb Christ in our hearts, Uh, We've we've received Christ at baptism. All of us here, uh, presumably, we don't have any baptism scheduled today. Um, And what's more dangerous about this, I think, is that we fear to search for him there because we fear the darkness of our hearts. The women have a good example here. You know, it's not a a very uh, fun thing to go and anoint a dead body, especially one whom you love. Yet they did it. They went. And they were surprised. This past week, we celebrated the Office of Tenebrae. And at the end of each of uh, these celebrations, there are three of them, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the last lit candle from a very large candelabra that had 15 candles on it, uh, the last one that's lit 
is carried away and then hidden behind the altar. And we keep singing, we keep going, and we can't see it anymore. We can't see it with the eyes of our flesh. But we know it's there. You know, we understand that uh, even though you, you put a light behind something, it doesn't stop shining. It's there. And indeed, the candle reappears at the very end. This is a sign of Christ's harrowing of hell. It's an image of what Christ does between his death and his resurrection. About ten years ago, I was part of an ongoing discussion group between Christians and atheists. Um, probably many of you know this because I, I use this. It's, it was one of the most valuable experiences I've had in my time in the monastery. One of the most vehement criticisms that atheists had of God was this idea of hell. You know, why did God make hell? Uh, he must have done it to punish people who didn't believe in him, those bad people. But what about the people who, whose, it, it wasn't their fault that they didn't believe in him? And one of my responses to this is, in fact, hell is manifestly something that we produce. It's under the persuasion of demonic thoughts, we would say, in the monastery. But it's a human thing. It's the concentration camps of the 20th century. It's brutal warfare throughout history. Slavery, exploitation. These are all human products. And even on a smaller scale, you know, the ways in which we let ourselves and others down, all the little compromises we make, the little ways we cheat on life, this tends over time to produce a, a debilitating discouragement in us, or can, a kind of dead heart, dead spots in our heart. Joy and faith and love are packed away behind a stone, a stone of weariness and skepticism, sometimes even a kind of contempt. And then we hide this behind a brave face, uh, which the open doubters among us consider more realistic. And then, on Easter morning, we come to the tomb. And the stone's gone. This is not a stone we could roll away by ourselves, but we don't need to because the Spirit of God does this for us. And even more astonishing, we look into the tomb and there's no one there. Uh, this is because, again, when we go into our hearts and we look for Christ there, he invites us to a complete reorientation of our perspective. He wants us to think in terms of the Spirit. It's okay, you can do it. He's done it first and he's given us the example. In other words, we don't find an answer to our dilemma because the very dilemma that we've posed for ourselves is framed in the wrong way. We need a different set of questions. We need a, a mystery that invites us to something beyond ourselves, that gets us out of ourselves, points us toward grace, toward eternal life, toward the genuineness of love of one another and of God. So we don't find an answer to our dilemma but an invitation to God's perspective this morning. So let us go with Mary Magdalene, with Peter and John. Let us visit the tomb as we approach the baptismal font again. And as we renew our baptismal vows with the beloved disciples, let us renew our faith. Let us see the empty tomb and believe. Enter into the mystery of Christ's translation to an entirely different level of being, life in the Spirit, and let us dare to follow him there.